The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise, and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we are just able to gather here today to be able to worship you, to be able to just gather in community and to be able to um, just learn more about your word and what it is you have to say for us today. And God, we just pray now that you speak through um, Randall and for those of us that need convicting, you convict us. And for those of us that need comforting, you comfort us, God. We thank you for everything you've done for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Monica. All right. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. If I haven't met you yet, I'm Randall. Would love to talk with you. I'm uh, the lead pastor of Grace City, and uh, it's great to to be able to continue in the book of Acts. And so as we've uh, started out the year, we're looking at the book of Acts because we want to know what it looks like uh, in the early church. Uh, One theologian said, the church always goes forward best by going back first. Let me say that again. The, the, the church always goes forward best by going back first. See, many times what we think is to understand the future, to understand what's relevant, we need to really search out what's happening now or, or what's next. But, but really, the, the best way for the church to go forward is to go back first. And so we've been going back first to the early church to understand what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. And, and we've been looking at, uh, in, in this text in particular, um, first the, the death of Stephen and what happens, but then there was persecution that happened in the church and, and the, the, the gospel starts to spread. And, and so 
in Acts 8 today, we're going to be looking at, um, in particular, two situations that happen and, and really how the gospel spreads in that. And so the message for today is this, the gospel for the world. The gospel for the world. Now, if you're wondering what the word gospel means, it simply means good news. And if you're new to Christianity, I want you to know that Christianity is good news. It's not good advice about how to get your life right with God, but it's good news that God came for you to meet you right where you're at. So if you're struggling today, if you're wondering, if this is this for me? Yes, it's an invitation for all of us. Sociologist and author Alvin Schmidt did this extensive research on how Christianity had changed the world. And he wrote this book called How Christianity Changed the World. And here's what he wrote. Jesus' disciples originally were plain, ordinary Jewish citizens. Several were fishermen. One came from the socially despised tax tax collectors. The others similarly came from low-ranking occupations. No one would have guessed at this time that these individuals and their associates would in a few years be accused by some of the Jews of having turned the world upside down by their preaching and teaching. Listen, the transformed lives of devout and dedicated individuals affected monumental changes in the world at large. Yet many people today may not know or even try to deny the many contributions that the transformed followers of Christ for 2,000 years helped to bring about finishes, these Christ-inspired individuals took the words of Jesus to heart. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. See, for those of us who are Christ followers, it's not just a bunch of ideas that we believe, but it's, it's a transformed life. And in the early church, these men and women did not set out to go change the world. See, in many mission statements, we we write, we're going to go change the world. But here's the thing. The early followers of Christ didn't come up with a mission statement that sounded like that. Now, here's what they did. They set out to obey Jesus. And remember, in Acts 1.8, it says that Jesus says, You will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he, he said, you're going to be my witnesses. And through being witnesses, not just in word, but also in deed, they changed the world because of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. See, because in that message, it ultimately defeats sin and death. And it's through the message of the gospel that God has changed and will continue to change the world. But what about the world today? For many of us, we get discouraged, we get down because we look around and we say, look at all the dark things that are happening all around us. Look at how, how, how difficult and hard it is in this world today. What's going to help? What's going to change the world? Author Oz Guinness said, To this question, it is, I believe, that we trust in God and his gospel 
and move out confidently into the world, living for a new Christian renaissance, and thus challenge the darkness with the hope of Christian faith, believing in an outcome that lies beyond the horizon of all we can see and accomplish today. The call from the book of Acts, the call from this theologian, Os Guinness, is this, to trust in God. As dark as the times may be, trust in God and trust in the message of the gospel. So what can we learn about, uh, from today's text about the power of the gospel and how God changes the world? Well, as we've been looking at, the author of Acts is, is Luke. And, and Luke is, again, very technical in the way that he writes. And, and he's placing uh, two stories side by side. Now, this wasn't read in the, the earlier text, but we're going to look at this. Uh, we see that first he, he, he puts this man named Simon out there, and, and, and what we see, if we look back a little bit, it's this, this Simon the Magician. But secondly, we see that there's an Ethiopian. And we put these two stories side by side, and they're both under the same preacher, Philip. He's preaching the gospel to them, and so same message, but two different responses. And I believe that today this will help us to understand how God works and, and really how God changes the world. And so we're going to look at two ways from these texts that we see this. The first one is this. If you're taking notes today or you're looking at notes, um, number one is exposing hidden motives. Exposing hidden motives. And number two, sending genuine disciples. Exposing hidden motives and, and, and sending genuine disciples. So the first one is this. If you've got your Bible open today, we're going to be looking at the first one starting in, in verse 9 through 13 and then 18 through 23, okay? And so first is exposing hidden agendas. So look at verse 9 in chapter 8. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. And so the first person, uh, Simon, let, let, let's look at Simon. What do we learn about Simon here? Well, first, we learn this, that Simon lived a life of self-promotion. Do you see that? Verse 9, saying that he himself was somebody great. Verse 10, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God and is called great. So they called him great, but then he took on the name of being great. Verse 11, they paid attention to him. And so what we can see is that Simon, he enjoyed the spotlight. He enjoyed making it about himself. And I think very much so, Simon really fits our culture today. 
In one online article, it said this. It says, Jeff Bezos famously said that your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. Building on that, I would say that personal branding is about improving the chances that people say the right things about you by curating and putting out the appropriate pieces of information about yourself. See, what we've seen is that Simon very much lived a life of self-promotion, of branding. He had a brand. His brand was, he was great. But... By the grace of God, something happened. Look at verse 12. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So this community in Samaria, something happened, something changes. The focus now has shifted off of Simon and onto Jesus. People were converting and and being baptized, and so... What does Simon do? Well, in verse 13, it says, Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. But next, like I said, Luke is very technical in the way that he writes things, and so there's a hidden gem right here that helps us to understand what's going on. Simon had an agenda. Look at verse 13 at the end. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now let's stop here for a minute. What is it that amazes you? What is it that amazes you? Because what it is that amazes you actually tells a lot more about yourself than you realize. You see, this is a very important question for us today because we have to ask, what is it that draws us into something? Because in that, this could give you insight into what your agenda may be. What is deep in your heart about what really matters? Proverbs 16.2 says this, All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the heart, or weighed by the Lord. They're weighed by the Lord. See, here's the thing, that that God doesn't just care about the outside, but he cares about the motivations on the inside. What's in here? One pastor, John Piper, says, he says, Simon saw the signs that Philip was doing. They were better than his own magical signs. He got excited about them. He followed Philip around and wanted to imitate them. But he never saw the ugliness of his own sin and need for repentance and the glory of Christ and the gospel who forgives and makes new and clean. Here's the thing. We see that Simon says he believed and he was baptized, but he wasn't truly converted. He did all of the outward things that seemed to make him right with God, but something didn't happen in his heart that changed him, that transformed him. 
And so let's go down to verse 18 through 23 and see what happens here. Because there is uh, this agenda that's exposed, here's what happens. It says, now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. See, there's a specific scenario that's happening here where, where God is, is, is bringing to the Samaritans, who are kind of the outcasts, the same Holy Spirit that those in Jerusalem got. And so God is doing something unique and specific here in this case. But he's trying to teach the, the, the disciples and also the apostles something that, that God came to reach everybody. He came to reach the world. And so there's something that God is uniquely doing here to teach his disciples. But instead of Simon seeing this and getting excited about what God is doing, he's seeing it as an opportunity to use it for himself. He's seeing it as an opportunity to use it for himself. And so what happens? He says, give me that power. And then in verse 20, but Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter. For your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours. And pray to the Lord that if possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the goal of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Now this is really important here. Because outwardly, Simon had done all of the rituals that would have said, I, yeah, I think he's a believer. But in this moment, as, he, as his actions prove differently, he's called out by Peter. See, Simon was more interested in ma manipulating the power of God than surrendering to it. And here's the thing. He had lived a life of manipulation. He lived a life of manipulation. And he was willing to manipulate God's power to get attention to himself, and God had exposed his heart. See, verse 21, You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Verse 23, For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. What's Peter telling him here? Well, verse 21, when he says, You have no part nor lot, here's what he's saying. He's saying that you have no part or lot in salvation. It's not genuine. It's not real. One commentator says, Peter condemns Simon as one, of, uh, as one who does not have Christ's salvation. He calls Simon to repentance, which is a command typically delivered to the unregenerate, those who don't believe. Peter knew Simon was in danger because his heart was corrupt before God. You know, one of the things that we really need to ask is this, like, maybe I've done all of the rituals, but where's my heart? Do I truly know the Lord? Verse 23, Peter says there's bitterness and iniquity in Simon's heart. See, this is a call for Simon to become a genuine follower of Jesus. It was a sign of grace. Here's what's happening. The mask is being taken off. The mask of 
Simon, you've got to be great. You've got to do it on your strength. You've got to manipulate and get to this place in the world to, to matter. All of that is being taken off of Simon in this moment and being exposed in front of these people. So much so that we know his name in scripture today. But why is that? Is it just to embarrass him? No. It's to call him to the grace of God and that he needs the grace of God just as much as anybody else. That yes, you might have been great in the world's eyes, but you're not above the greatness of God. No longer did Simon have to live for himself, but he's being called to live for something bigger than himself, God. And so that's Simon's story, but now let's go on to the Ethiopian eunuch. The second part is this, sending genuine disciples. So, so look at verses 26 through 29. This is the part that was read. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasures. He'd come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So what does it look like to, to send genuine disciples? Well, first off, we see that this disciple, Philip, who's not an apostle, he was a deacon, is being sent. Right? And do you see who's sending Philip? Verse 26 says, An angel of the Lord said to Philip. Verse 29, And the Spirit said to Philip. Now all of this did not happen by Philip's plans. It wasn't his plans, right? Because earlier we see that he, he's called down to go to Samaria. What we see is somebody who's very sensitive to what God is saying. Sensitive to the Spirit of God. See, first, what does it mean to be a genuine disciple? It means that your life is trusting God's leading, not your own. And I just want to encourage you today that, that it's not just pastors and leaders or deacons or any of these people that, that, that are led by the Spirit of God, but it's your life too. Do you see your life as, it's not about my plans, it's about God's plans. See, because God brought Philip into the Ethiopian eunuch's life at the perfect time. At the perfect time. Let me ask this. When you look back at your life, do you say, you know what? This person came into my life at the perfect time. Or I remember this person that I met one time and I started talking to them and, and it was almost like the perfect time to have a conversation. Have you had those moments before? Because what that ultimately points to is that it's, it's there's something more than just, well, I was smart enough to get myself here at this time in this place. But there's a bigger plan. And as a genuine disciple, it's about following the plans that God has. Second is this. Do you see Philip's message? It's a gospel message. It's a gospel message. It's a good news message because here, here's what's, what's happening here. So Philip ran to him, right? He's, he's, he's told, okay, go 
over to this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Again, this wasn't some strategy that Philip had of, okay, I'm going to bring this guy to the Lord or any of this type of stuff, but it's just in God's plan and God's timing. He asked a simple question. Do you understand what's being read here? See, what do we need to understand about the Ethiopian eunuch and, and his need? What did he really need? Because here's the thing. What we see is that he was a high-ranking official. It says that he was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He was in charge of all of her treasure. Like, he was very high-ranking within the world. He had a lot. He had a lot. But you see, here's the thing. Imagine if Simon was sent to him. Imagine if Simon went to him. What would he start talking to him about? He would start talking to him about, look at all the things that I can do to try and get something out of the Ethiopian who was a high-ranking official. But we see that Philip is being led by God and, and sent there, no strings attached, saying, this is the gospel message. This is, what, this is what's needed. See, Philip wasn't focused on the riches. He wasn't focused on the position of the Ethiopian. He was focused on the message that he was sent to deliver the gospel. Do you get starstruck sometime? Sometimes by people? You get more focused on, wow, look at, look at this position that they're in. Look at what they're doing. Is that what you're enamored by or in awe of? Because again, what that could be is the same thing that Simon was struggling with. He was a, more enamored or maybe we're just intimidated or afraid. But no, Philip, this simple person wasn't enamored by the position of the Ethiopian but he was enamored with the gospel and, and who Jesus is and verse 35 says this when Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture he told him the good news about Jesus now what we see is that Isaiah 53 was, was the section in which the Ethiopian eunuch was reading and in this passage, what do we see? It says, and I love this because this is a help for us today. It says, starting with the scripture. How do we know if somebody's trying to lead us astray? How do we know if somebody's trying to lead us in a different direction than, than focusing on Jesus? Do they start with the scripture? Or do they start with their stories and how great they are? Right, that's how I always look at, at preaching. I say, where are they leading me to right now? Are they leading me to some great story about themselves or are they leading me to Jesus and the scriptures? Because that is the job of the evangelist. That is the job of somebody who's preaching and teaching. My job today is to point you to Jesus. And so that's what Philip's doing here. He's pointing the Ethiopian eunuch to Jesus. Now here's the thing. Later in Isaiah 56, there's this promise that's given. 
And do you know who it's given specifically for? It's given for eunuchs. Now, eunuchs, during that time, you would have never been able to have children. That has been taken away from him. That's, that's his life. And so what that meant in that culture is that he has no future kin. He has no family in the future. That is gone. But in Isaiah 56, there's this promise that there's a family that's more glorious that he could be a part of. It's the family of God for those who would believe in Christ. It was a prophecy that was given. And so what we find here is that in the hopelessness that maybe the eunuch was feeling, he was searching, he was spiritually searching. Right? He says he's gone to Jerusalem, he's, he's, he's looking, he's trying to worship. But he's asking questions and he comes to this place and he says, what, what's my future? What, where does it, where, what's my hope? And Philip points him to Jesus. Pastor Eric Mason says, we need the gospel. We need it more than books, more than studies, more than groups. We need the life-giving, identity-establishing, purpose-defining gospel of Jesus Christ. You ever struggle with purpose? You ever struggle with your identity? You ever struggle with any of these things? It's not earned. It's not, it's not okay, I'm going to work hard for it. No, it's, it's, it's given to you. It's given. And that in Jesus, because he died for our sins, God looks at us and says, you're my son, you're my daughter, you're my child. And nothing can take that away. And what's the result? As Philip spends time with this Ethiopian, well, it's this in, in verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, so he gets baptized just like Simon did, gets baptized. But as he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And we don't need to, to think this is like this, like kind of a crazy, like, oh man, did he like disappear and do a magic trick on, you know, the Ethiopian? No, it's, it's just that, again, he was led to the Ethiopian by the Spirit. God led him there, and God led him away. God led him to another part, another place. Same thing is true with our lives, right? There, there's seasons, there's things that God leads us to that we don't understand in that moment, but he's taken us away. It says, and the eunuch saw him no more. Here's the thing. This message wasn't about Philip. It wasn't about Philip. He saw him no more. But here's what it says. And he went away on his way rejoicing. Many early church fathers believed that it was the eunuch, the, the Ethiopian eunuch, who took the gospel to Africa. It was, it was the eunuch who takes it to the high courts, who takes it to the city, who takes it to the places. See, here's the thing. God understands how to reach the world better than we do. And we need to listen and, and obey and trust him instead of coming up with these grand strategies and plans that we think we can do. It's not bad to, to come up with plans, but here's the thing. It's not, God, bless my plans, bless my activities. No, it's, it's God, what's your plans? What's your activities? Lord, help me to obey you. 
Help me to obey you. And we see that there was great rejoicing from this genuine disciple of Jesus. So just some quick takeaways as we finish up today. As we look at these two stories placed side by side, here's the the first question I have. Are personal agendas blocking you from seeing God? Are personal agendas blocking you from seeing God? Because for some of you, maybe you've got plans and you've got ideas and you've got thoughts, but God is kind of on the periphery and we're at the center. And we're the ones that are coming to God saying, hey God, why aren't my plans working out? Why aren't my agendas coming through? What, what's, what's, what's kind of wrong here? You know, you, you, I thought you said you had a plan. <laughs> but we're not seeing his plan. It's because we're not looking for his plan. Because at the end of the day, it's about his gospel, his plan, his glory, his goodness. And what we find is that Simon was more fixated on the miracles than he was about on the greatest miracle, which was that God became man and and came and died for our sins. And so again, where are we looking? And and is there some personal agendas and plans that are just blocking you from seeing God? Here's the thing. There's many times in my life where I've tried to force plans to work. And God has graciously closed the door on them. And I was upset at the time, right? I thought, okay, this is, this is something that I could do. I could actually see myself doing. I could kind of make it work. But it wasn't the, the, the plan that I knew that God wanted me to do. And God graciously closed the door. Or he told me, you need to shut the door on that. Don't do it. And so today, where are you at in this? And in, 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 is it blocking you from seeing God and trusting God and understanding that he's got a plan? The second question, this is to the heart. In what ways is God asking you to trust his leading in your life? Because this is the next step, right? Maybe you've heard this before. You're like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to trust God's leading. But genuinely, have you sought it? Have you asked him? Lord, what do you want? Because there are times where I've gotten to the end of myself and I've just said, God, I don't know. I don't know where I'm supposed to go, what I'm supposed to do. God, I need your plan. I need your help. Please guide me and direct me. And that is not just available to me. It's available to you. And he's asking you to come to him. Because again, this is about his leading in your life. Not about anybody else around you. Or not even yourself. God, what do you want? And lastly, whose name is more prominent in your life? Your name or God's name? Now here's, here's an insight that I want us to walk away with. This is important as we put these two stories side by side. Do you see that we, we know Simon's name? We know his name. We know that he called himself great. We know all these things about Simon. But we don't know the name of the Ethiopian. We don't know his name. See, and I think many ways this is intentional. See, how's the gospel going to change the world? Is it going to be through us pushing our plans, our agenda, our brand? No. 
I think in many ways it's when it becomes less about our name and more about Jesus' name. See, Simon wanted to be the good news. But Jesus is always the good news. And what it was was a sign that Simon was lost. Again, this is for genuine believers, genuine disciples of Jesus. Like, is it more about my name or is it more about his name being prominent in my life? I remember I was doing a, this was my first uh, residency out of college. I was doing an internship. And, um, it was with a college ministry. It was funny because, like, you think I look young now? I'm 38, right? You think I look young now? Like, I look like a child, right, <laughs> during this college ministry. I remember college students coming up to me saying, dude, are you a freshman on camp? Like, what's going on? You know, like that type of deal. Very young in ministry. But I remember there was a lesson that God wanted me to learn, and it was there at this ministry. And so there was this guy that would come in. It was, a, it was probably about 300 college students. And there was this guy that would come in, and this was in normal Illinois. But this was very abnormal because there was a guy who would wear a tuxedo. And he wouldn't wear it just to, to church, but he would wear it every day. And he would come in to the service, and, and you knew that he was like all about making about himself because he would wait till everybody else sat down and then he would make this grand entrance from the back in his tuxedo and sit in the very front in the middle and I remember one day there was a movie coming out about him his name was Tuxedo Ron everybody called him Tuxedo Ron and so there was a the movie in the community coming out about Tuxedo Ron and so During the service one day, he went out and he took these cards that were invitations to his movie, uh, you know, grand opening. And he put them on every car. And I remember my friend Chris, who was the pastor of the ministry there, and he was furious. And he talked to Ron after and he said, Ron... We don't come here for you. I know that what you're doing, you're coming up to the very front, you're making this about yourself. He says, we we come here for Jesus. Because all of this that you see around you is about Jesus. And he looked at Ron, he said, Ron, if you took as much energy as you did, and as you do each day, to make it not about your name, but the the name of Jesus said, this whole town would know Jesus. This whole community would know Jesus. And and very much so, it was like this rebuke that we see for Simon. He said, this whole community would know about Jesus because it's not about Tuxedo Ron, it's about Jesus. And I know that seems like an extreme example. You're like, that's kind of far out there. I don't really see that often. But here's the thing. Jesus called us out on this too. In, in Luke 10, 17 through 20, he, he sends out these 72 disciples and they're excited because they were returned. They returned with joy saying, Lord, even the, the, the demons are subject to us in your name. 
here's what he says to him. Jesus says to him, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And we see that this Ethiopian is rejoicing, going out back to his people to tell them about Jesus. And he wasn't rejoicing in his name. He was rejoicing in the name of Jesus. And here's the thing. When you start to rejoice in the name of Jesus, you'll start to see that Jesus rejoices in you. He rejoices in you. He rejoices in your name. And he looks at you and says, that's my daughter. That's my son. Go into the world. Let your light shine. See, here's the, here's the truth of the gospel today. Jesus died for little self-promoters. Isn't there a little bit of tuxedo around in all of us? If we want to acknowledge it or not. And here's the thing. We will only be saved when we see that it's not about our name being lifted up into the lights, but Jesus' name. The good news is that you don't have to live for your name any longer. You don't have to, to, to strive and put the pressure on yourself, on your shoulders to go change the world. No, it's the humble Jesus that has carried that burden on his shoulders. And it's on his strength that we carry his name out to the world. See, it's the gospel, the good news. And how God reaches the world. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to live in the joy that we find in the name of Jesus and the cross and what he's done for us. Lord, I thank you for this story. First of Simon that I think in many ways calls us out. Because there's many times, whether we think about it or not, in small ways and in big ways, where we try to make it about our name. But Lord, we see this Ethiopian who simply wants to know about you. He knew that something was missing in his life. And what we find is that Philip got to tell him that the, the missing piece that would bring him peace, that would bring him hope, that would bring him life was in what Jesus had done. And so help us to see, Lord, how you are the missing piece in many ways in our lives. You're the name that's above every name. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.